You're listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church, where friends become family. For more information, log on to www.fbcqc.org. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Well, this is week seven in our identity series. Uh, Hard to imagine uh, that it's been seven weeks now. We plan, uh, Lord willing, to conclude the series next Sunday. And I am super excited about the direction God's taking us uh, starting on October the 20th. Uh, We'll be telling you more about that. We'll be challenging you through our next series. And and I hope and pray that, uh, like me, uh, uh, you've been challenged in your thinking through this series. Uh, In this series, we've been filling in an important blank. I am blank. Who am I? You know, so many people today suffer from an identity crisis. Uh, And in the first message in this series, we talked about how people can be confused about who they really are. We we tend to put things in that blank that really don't belong there. Uh, We might put words in that blank that are technically true of us, uh, but are, are things that really should just help explain us, but not necessarily be our identity. Uh, and God gives us a number of important things that we can put into that blank. And we've looked at a number of those just by way of review. Let me uh, show you the list again. Uh, we discovered in that first week, I am created. Isn't that awesome to know that we are created in the image and likeness of God himself. And with that, we are highly favored. Uh, we're blessed to be a blessing. God created us to mirror and reflect his very nature, his character. And so when we love We are reflecting his character and his nature. When we forgive, we are reflecting his character and nature. Uh, We've also discovered that our identity is received. It is not achieved. Uh, God tells us that who you are determines what you do. Satan comes along and says, no, 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 no. It's it's what you do that determines who you are. And so many people buy that lie and they uh, they set out on this quest to, to do certain things, to achieve certain things, to purchase certain things in order to become somebody. Doesn't work that way. I am created. I am forgiven. And while we've all got trash in our past, and, and your past may be as recent as this morning, uh, if you've sought God's forgiveness, we've got trash in our past. But you don't have to live in that trash. That doesn't have to, have to be your identity. Uh, you don't have to be Oscar the Grouch. You can live uh, out of a new identity. I am forgiven. What a great word. I am secure. Because of who I am in Christ, I don't have to be a people pleaser. I don't have to constantly be posturing. I don't have to constantly be consumed with what other people think about me. And am I pleasing this person? Am I pleasing that person? No, because I am secure. I'm new. I'm new. Paul tells us, hey, daily be putting off the old man, be putting on the new. And live out of that identity. Uh, We tend to because we're still uh, living in this flesh. We're still living in this sinful world. We have not yet been uh, glorified. Uh, So we're still very much in the presence of sin. We daily deal with temptation and all the things associated with the flesh. We've got to daily be putting off those fleshly desires and putting on uh, the new life that we have in Christ. I am new. I am adopted. I'm adopted. I'm adopted into God's forever family. Uh, And in that I'm secure. Uh, And we discovered uh, a couple of weeks ago there that uh, what Satan loves to do is he loves to take the things that we have done, our failures, our mistakes, our sin, uh, all of those shortcomings, and he likes to start there and use the things that we have done to destroy who we are. He says, see, you just don't have it together. See, you're still failing in this area of your life. See, See, you're still, see, you're still, and he loves to take what we have done and use that to destroy who we are. No, Jesus Christ comes and says, hey, I, I want to, because of who you are in me, I, I want to take who you are in me, and because of that, I want to repair what you've done. Uh, that's what Christ has done for us. And then, man, th- th- then we took a different turn last week, didn't we? 
I, I, I'm afflicted. I mean, you look at all those words and you think, boy, that, that's, but I'm afflicted. And um, little did I realize how much within just a couple of days, I personally and my family certainly would be living out that sermon. I, I asked in both services, how many of you have personally or, or, or with, with your own family, your immediate family, been impacted and affected by cancer. And of course, I, I could raise my hand last Sunday, but little did I know that by the middle of the week, I, I'd be raising my hand again. And I, I would be living out uh, one of the forms of affliction that we talked about, that empathetic affliction. Um, and, and, and while we all understand what that means, it's a little different when it hits close to home. Have you ever felt like sometimes in life, uh, and, and Scripture uses this analogy a couple of different times, that, that, that the Christian life is like warfare, you know? It's, it's like we're on the battlefield of life. And, 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 and daily, we're all like incoming, you know, but, but it hits, you know, a little ways away. It, it, it hits over, you know, at our friend's place or, or, or over, you know, at the next... But the, and then occasionally it's like that one hit real close to home. R- real close. The battle becomes very different then, right? When it hits that close to home. I mean, that was like right by my foxhole. Uh, and sometimes th- that's just life. Um, but we learned, I am afflicted. But what we also learned in that, God uses our affliction, whatever it may look like, uh, to encourage others, to challenge others, uh, for the good of others, for our growth, and for his glory. That's ultimately what it's all about. Uh, and so uh, today, I, I want us to, to, to turn the page again, and I want us to take, a, again, a, maybe a more positive direction. Um, uh, as we might look at it, humanly speaking. And I want us to fill in the blank with this word, I am loved. Isn't that great? Isn't that like a breath of fresh air? I am loved. Uh, Somebody very wisely said, one of the greatest needs of the human heart is to love and to be loved. To be loved. I, I, I mean, even humanly speaking, in our horizontal relationships here on earth, isn't it great to know that you're loved, that you're loved. There's just something about that that just infuses you with strength and, and encourages you to know that you're loved. Uh, even sometimes when you're going through a, a valley or a difficult time, for somebody to just come along and say, I, I love you. I love you. There are a couple of times during this, this past week, I, I didn't really know what to say to my sweet wife. I mean, she's hearing the news that her, that her mom's got stage four cancer, just like her dad. And we're all just like, what are the odds of a married couple both having stage four cancers? And then she looks at her sister and they're like, the odds aren't real good for us, you know? I mean, this, this isn't looking real great. I, what, what do I say? And so I found myself saying, sweetheart, I just want you, I, I love you. I, I love you. Paul uses a metaphor in Ephesians chapter 5, one that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. I want us to give our attention to verses 22 through 30. Many times when we uh, look at these few verses, uh, we are talking uh, primarily uh, about a marriage relationship. In fact, uh, you ladies have probably already noticed that uh, there's the S word. It's the second word in this section of Scripture uh, yeah, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
And then he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Now what you find here is this incredible metaphor and this illustration and some profound teaching on love and, and what that looks like. And especially in the context of a married relationship. You hear see uh, talk here of wives and how they relate to their husbands and husbands. And how they uh, relate to their wives and all of those things. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor. And, and there are a lot of things that I'm, I'm called upon to do. But one of my favorite things to do is, is to conduct a wedding ceremony. Um, and, 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 and there's something... That, that, transpires in the, that transpires in the course of a wedding, I guess, that is really my favorite part of the ceremony. Um, it, you know, it, weddings look very different. They've changed through the years in terms of, of how they're done and some of the traditions and some of the things that people do and don't do and so forth. And um, you've probably noticed that. Um, uh, fewer people are doing unity candles now. Now they're doing unity sand and uh, a lot of neat things. You know, just, but, but one of the things that has not changed, and I don't suppose it ever will change, is that moment... When the pastor's standing right about here, and the groom's standing right there, and typically his buddies are standing over here, and, 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 and the bridesmaids have all come down the aisle, and the flower girl, and the ring bearer, and all those things. But then there, there's that moment in the ceremony when those back doors open, and everybody stands, and everybody turns and gives their attention to the bride. There, there's just something about that moment. When I'm standing here, I look back there, and those doors fling open, and there she stands in all of her glory. Never been more beautiful than at that moment in time. So much time and so much energy and so much effort has been put into that moment. When those doors swing open, and there she stands. Smile on her face. All the hopes, all the dreams, the love. It just all those things that, that you're sensing, you're feeling. And, and then I love to glance at the groom. And I love to look at his face if I can. Now, a lot of times his attention, of course, is turned to the back. But it's just like, I, I, I know how I felt on the day that I was married some 24 years ago. I'm standing thinking, I don't deserve this woman. <laughs> I, I mean, you're just like, you're overwhelmed uh, with, with, with what's happening in that moment. And, and so with that context in mind, you know, the, the love between two individuals, don't, don't, don't you just love, I mean, you open the paper occasionally, and of course there's always obituaries and all these things, but occasionally in our local paper there will be a, a, a little clip or a little uh, story about a couple that's been married 50 years or 60 years or 65 years. And doesn't that just do your heart good? <laughs> you see that and go, that is awesome. That is awesome for two people to share love with one another, for one another, for that long. That, that's a miracle. That, that's the grace of God. And, and that's something that just stirs something within us. But as we look at this metaphor, you ladies probably have a, an easier time wrapping your brain around the picture. 
I, I mean, this relationship between Christ and the church, between Christ and those who are saved, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This picture is of a groom and his bride. You ladies can identify with that because I've got two girls. I know how it works. When, when Ashley was just a little one and, and she started realizing how this whole thing worked, I can remember her getting dressed up and pretending to be a bride. Now she's gotten older, she's got these aspirations and dreams of someday being a bride. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. Slow down. There ain't no hairy, smelly guy out there good enough for you. I can just guarantee you. Now, there's just something about, I mean, that's just a very natural thing for a young girl, for a young woman. I mean, so so it's pretty easy for you to wrap your brain. It's like, oh, the apostle Paul, look at that. He likens the church, he, he likens the uh, safe folks to a bride. And, and, and Christ is the groom and, and he loves us like a groom loves his bride. And us guys are going, what? I, I, I have a little more difficult time. I mean, you guys, if you're like me, you're kind of like, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't think of myself as a bride. I mean, I cannot, you know, if I'm just going to be really crazy, but I can't picture myself in a wedding dress. I mean, we're, we're talking some serious alterations here, okay? I've never seen a wedding dress that had that kind of neck capacity or anything. You know, it's just like, I, I, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to wrap our minds around this. And yet it's a beautiful picture. What, what this causes us to understand is, is that longing that we have for a, a perfect love, an unending love, a devoted love, a generous love, a sacrificial love, a humble love, is not something that will be met or satisfied by our human relationships, our horizontal relationships. It's only possible through our vertical relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I mean is this. Only God in Jesus Christ loves perfectly, loves humbly, loves continually, loves unselfishly, loves generously, all the time without fail. As hard as we may try, we can't do that. I, I tell young couples all the time when they come sit in my office for premarital counseling, I'm like, hey, look, if you're expecting him to be your everything, to fulfill all your needs, to be a, it's impossible. Th- those, are, th- those are unrealistic expectations. Because he's, he's human. If you're expecting her to fulfill all your needs and, and to do it perfectly and everything, that's an unrealistic expectation. She can't do it. She's human. She's imperfect. Th- there are days that she's not going to love you unselfishly. There are days he's not going to love you perfectly. It's just not going to happen. It's not possible. So it means that even when those that we love, particularly our spouse, when they fail us, as they will, our love then has not come to an end. It's not come to a screeching halt. We're not without love. Our identity then is not one of being unloved or formerly loved or previously loved, but one who is perfectly loved, continually loved, still loved by Jesus Christ. We could talk all day about the eternality of God's love for us and how it's, it's unconditional and it's eternal. All of those things. It's just this great picture and it frees us up when we know that Jesus loves us. I mean, that's why we teach our kids from the earliest age to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. It frees us up. 
To know that he loves us. It frees us up to love him and to love others with the love that he gives us. And that's all encapsulated in Paul's teaching regarding how Jesus' love for the church is pattern and prototypical and source for the husband's love for his wife. The relationship, it's a, it's a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture. And so today I want us to focus our attention on five ways that Christ loves us. Five ways that Christ loves us, the church. And when I say that, that's, that's not to say if you're in attendance at church this morning that you're part of the church, okay? That's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about attenders. We're not talking about pretenders. Uh, we're talking about those who possess a, a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've placed your faith and trust in Him. This is how Christ loves us. And as we talk about those five ways, according to the Apostle Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, five ways that Jesus loves us, I I want you to thank God. And I I think you'll find yourself a bit overwhelmed at what Jesus Christ has done for us and how he loves us. I want you to notice, first of all, that he loves us as head. As head. Now, if you're filling in blanks this morning, you'll notice on the back of the worship guide there, there's a lot of blanks, right? That, that is to infuriate our youth pastor, Billy Sheets. Let me just go ahead and tell you. Because Billy's one of those kind of people. He loves to take out the worship guide every week and think he already has the answers filled in. Not like this one, uh-uh. I, I had a professor in seminary who used to give tests a lot like this. I mean, it would be fill in the blank and it would be the blank, blank of blank, blank is blank, blank. And I, we were just like, what in the world? We could have something to go on. All right, so listen intentionally this morning and understand what we're saying here. He loves us as head. As head. The first way that Jesus loves us is that he is preeminent. He's at the top. That means that Jesus is in charge. That means he's in authority. Now, we're going we're gonna, to gonna go back and forth between the marriage relationship and the church and Christ relationship because I want you to understand some things. There's a lot of confusion today in this area. A lot of confusion. Typically, when we see this word head or we think of being in charge or uh, ladies, you see that word submissive or being submissive to your husband and all those sorts of things, there's a, there's a lot of skewed views on that. A lot of men take that to mean I am large and in charge. I am head honcho. What I say goes every time. Um, you are always under me. I'll keep you underfoot. You're more or less my doormat. And if I, I need to walk on you occasionally, then that's what I'll do. That, that is not what's being taught here. That's not what's being taught here. In fact, we teach a complementarian view of marriage. That, that is that God has created woman to come alongside to be a helpmeet. Her husband, okay? But at the same time, you've got to understand God is a God of order. God sets things in order. And He is telling us here, in no uncertain terms, that the husband is the head of the home. He's to be the primary leader in the home, in the, in, in the Christian home, as God has ordained it. That's the way it's to work. All right? Now, again, that's not to say that He's the guy that barks out orders at everybody. Okay, that's not to say that, you know, you come strutting in and everybody, oh, everybody bows down, everybody, that's not, that's not what's being taught. But there is an order here and it's very important. In fact, uh, that's a principle that you find throughout scripture. Uh, you find that in your workplace. Most of you, if you, you work with very many people, you probably have a pretty good idea of who's the boss. Somebody's in charge. Somebody is, I mean, the buck stops here. Somebody is, is ultimately uh, in charge. Now, here's the problem in this whole concept. 
And, and it flows into every area of life. When we think of authority and who's at the top and who's not and all those sorts of things, we typically tend, uh, we, we focus our attention primarily on authority. And authority is certainly something that has to be considered. All right? But if you know anything about order and the way that God works, really the focus is on responsibility. Is on responsibility. So while guys, we might like to read into all this and go, well, what that means is I've got, the, I've got a lot of authority. Well, while you're feeling real, real great about yourself, it also means that you have the greatest responsibility. That's true in the workplace, isn't it? Yeah, if you're the head honcho, you're the big cheese, you're the whatever, you're at the top of the lat, what, you know, whatever it is. While, while you may have more authority technically than, than, than a lot of other people in your organization, it also means you have the greatest responsibility. It means that you are also chiefly responsible for that organization. So check this out, guys. In, in relation to our families and our marriages and everything, you know what that means? That means we will be held accountable for our families. And for how we've led our family. And for how we've, we, we've nourished our family and nurtured our family and, and all of those things. Now, in the context of the church, what does that mean? You know, we, we live in a crazy day. We live in a crazy day. And, and people's relationship with their church is, is very different. And, and it depends a lot, I realize, on how a church is structured and how it functions. How I many of you know every church is really very different in many respects? We know that to be true. Some churches uh, are governed very strictly by a council of people. Okay? Depending on how the denomination is set up, depending on how that church is set up, they've got this council of people and what they say goes, and they're pretty much the. Every church has a power structure of some sort. They just do. Uh, in some churches, uh, like you take a small church, for example, it's just one or two families that basically run the church. Uh, we wouldn't like to say that, but that's the reality of it. The simple truth is, you go to a lot of churches in our area, especially smaller churches, it tends to be this way, and you ask them, well, what's the power structure in your church? Everybody in the church pretty much knows if that, those one or two families aren't for something, it ain't happening. And if they're against it, it sure ain't happening. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just how it is. There's a structure found there. In some churches, they have a board. It's more or less a board of directors. Sometimes they're labeled as deacons. Sometimes they're labeled as elders. There's just all different ways. And then you've got some churches that are congregationally led. There's congregationalism, it's called. Okay, And, and, and with that, the, the, the extreme of that is people have this feeling. I come here. I attend here. I give money here. This is my church. I ought to have... I ought to be, it's that kind of thing. Hey, here's the simple truth. This isn't Brother Mike's church. This isn't your church. This isn't our church. This is the Lord's church. That's the bottom line. Now, I recognize what we're saying when I say with, you know, with pride, I mean, a, a certain sense of pride, this is my church. I, I, I get that. I, I'm not suggesting that you quit saying that or anything. But understand who ultimately is the head of the church. It's Christ. That, 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 that's, that's what Paul's teaching us here. He's telling us Christ is head of the church. All right? And so it's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. It's not about what somebody who supposedly represents a group of people within the church wants. It's not what some little group over here who's... No, no, no. It's not that. It's what does Jesus want? What does the Lord want? That should be our chief concern. I mean, there's a number of us that get together and get We want a new worship center. 
We want to go back to one service. We want to quit stacking chairs and unstacking chairs every week. And we, we would love that. And I'm right there with you. But it's all in his time. It's all in his time. Because this is his church. And, and he's head of the church. And he loves us as head of the church. He wants to have the preeminence. He wants to rule and reign supreme. He is God. And we're not. But with that, you've got to remember something. He is also taking responsibility for us. You say, say, wait, 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 just a minute. Really? Jesus is willing to take responsibility for us? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, he, he already did. Ultimately, he took responsibility for us when he went to the cross. We're sinners. He's not. Never sinned. Never. And yet, when he went to the cross, he took responsibility as head of the church for you and for me when he paid the penalty for our sin. See, that's how this whole order thing works. Yes, he's head. Yes, he's supreme. Yes, he's... But he ultimately took responsibility for your sin and mine. He took responsibility for... That's not to say that our sin is his fault. Oh, in no way. But that's what it means to be the head. It's very important because this language is going to get used elsewhere in the New Testament to talk about husbands and their families and fathers and children. And in, and in every way, uh, to, be, to be head is, is to be the one who is trying to, by the grace of God, to be like Jesus, taking responsibility. Whether or not it's your fault. So Jesus takes responsibility for us, loves us as head. Number two. He loves us as Savior. As Savior. What that means is that we are sinners and we need a Savior. We need a Savior. We're not good people getting better. No. Theologically speaking, we're bad people getting worse. That's why, you know, a lot of times we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That really and truly, when you think about it from a theological perspective, only happened one time. Bad things happen to, to really who was the only good person, and that was Jesus Christ, right? And I realize where we're coming from when we say that. It's like, man, this person's trying to live for God. They're trying to serve the, the Lord faithfully. They're trying, you know, they're, they're, they're trying. And it's like, well, these bad things. But, but really, truly, ultimately, in and of ourselves, we're not good people. Now, the only way that we can be declared good is through the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And so, so what we're seeing here is that, that we can't save ourselves. It means religion doesn't save us. It means a philosophy doesn't save us. Spirituality doesn't save us. Morality doesn't save us. And so we need someone apart from the systems of the world who is unstained, who is untainted by sin, someone who is perfect to enter in and to save us, to come as a rescuer. He loves us as Savior. And so this is the good news for us. It shows how much Jesus loves us because it means that we can live with hope. We don't have to look at our lives and say, well, I, I am who I was. And I, that defi- no, no, because of what Jesus Christ has done as Savior, we can live out of a new identity. Out of a new identity. It also means that there's only one Savior. 
There's only one Savior. There's not a bunch of paths that lead to God. Different roads go to different places. It's just like in the physical world as it is in the spiritual world. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's all singular and it's all exclusive. Now that flies in the face of the world today. Because the world today is all about pluralism. The world today is all about, oh, it's, it's all about acceptance. It's all about every, everybody's got to be right. And that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even make good sense. And, and I, I wish that some people would be intellectually honest enough to understand and to come to grips with the fact that, that two different, very differing opinions cannot both at the same time be right. They can't be. And so to say over here, biblical Christianity states that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And and God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place. To say, yep, that's good, that's right. But at the same time, to agree with some world religion that says, Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is not deity. Jesus Christ was not the incarnate son of God. To say that both of those are at the same time correct... That's impossible. That's impossible. And so if you're embracing that kind of thinking, would you please wake up and be intellectually honest for a change? Please be honest. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. He alone is Savior. He says that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. That's us. That's, that's us. He loves us as Savior. Do do you know him as Savior today? That's not to ask, do you know about him as Savior? That's not to say, yeah, I've read the Gospels, and I see there where Jesus, you know, he died on that cross, man. They whipped him, they beat him, they put a crown of thorns. I know all about that. I'm not asking, do you know about him as Savior? The question today is, do you know him as your Savior? Do you know of his love for you as Savior? Do you know that as head, he's taken responsibility for your sin. And as Savior, he is glad to save you from the consequences, even the eternal consequences of your sin. All of this is a demonstration of his affection and his love for us. I am loved. I'm loved. I want you to notice number three. That if we continue to look at the text here, he loves us as giver. As giver. It says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Now, our world really knows very little of this. We live in such an entitlement culture where people are far more concerned about their rights than they are about their responsibilities. They're far more attuned to what they believe they should receive as opposed to what they should give. The truth is, you can easily determine who or what you love just by following the money. Just by following the money. Let's suppose that I drive up to a guy's house. This guy's my friend. I pull up, we're going to barbecue together, and I, I notice very quickly that my friend, he's got lots of toys. Toys that I might like to have. Boats, RVs, four-wheelers. I, nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. I mean, you know, I... I, I I could wish I might have some of those things. But you look at that and think, wow. That's, and, and it wouldn't take a guy very long to, to, to you know, put two and two together and realize that, that there's a little bit of money tied up in these toys. You know, they say the difference between a man and a boy is the price of his toys, right? And that's very true. 
I mean, you do a little shopping for some of those things, and you realize that pretty quickly you, you can be laying out some cash, okay? But then let's say that I, I, I then look at his house, and I notice that his house is in a, a pr- pretty bad shape. And, and then I notice that there's an old beater car over here. I say, whose car is that? Oh, that's my wife's car. My wife drives that old beater. Wow, really? Huh. And then I go in to meet the kids, and I find the kids are like in threadbare clothes. They look malnourished. They look, you know. It wouldn't take me very long to realize who or what this guy loves, right? Yeah. The Bible it teaches it very clearly. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. It doesn't take long to see what, what a person values the most, loves the most, prioritizes the most, all of those things. And so when we understand that Jesus Christ loves us as giver, what exactly does that mean? Does that, that, that mean that he just gives us some nice things along the way? Uh, certainly, I, and we know that to be true. I mean, James teaches that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness and returning. But, but when you think of Jesus Christ as giver, don't think of stuff necessarily. I, I mean, I'm grateful for any stuff that I might enjoy here on this earth. And my goodness, Lord knows it's all by his grace and I, we're grateful and all this. But when you think of Jesus' love for you as giver, think of the fact that he gave his very life for you. His very life for you. Guys, think about it. If we were to go to our wives and we were to say, I, I love you so much. In fact, over the next several years, I plan to demonstrate my love to you by bringing you gifts and things and flowers. And certainly that's great. That's a great plan, great idea, okay? But check this out. I ain't about to lay down my life for you. If you're in harm's way, don't call me. <laughs> I got a pretty good idea. Your spouse would say, hang on just a minute here. You're willing to bring me flowers and gifts and chocolates and diamonds and da 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 but you wouldn't lay down your life for me? What you've just told your wife is, there's definitely a limit to my love for you. There's definitely a limit. You don't find any limit to Christ's love for us. No, he laid down his life for us. That's why it says in verse 25 here, Husbands, love your wives, and here's the illustration, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Gave himself for her. He is the great giver. He gave himself for us. It's not because we're smart, because we're not. It's not because we're well organized, because we're not. It's it's not because we're doing a great job, because typically we're not. It's because Christ loved the church that he gave himself up for her. Just like a husband loves his wife and, and keeps giving of himself. Jesus keeps giving of himself. The resurrected, living, loving Lord Jesus Christ gives of himself to the church. That's how Christ loves us. Let's consider number four this morning. Five ways Christ loves us. His head, as Savior, as giver. And you notice Paul says here, as sanctifier and cleanser. As sanctifier and cleanser. What that means, again, is that we're dirty, we're defiled, we are unclean, and that's the result of our sin. And religion would say, well, you then better get yourself cleaned up so you can present yourself to God. Don't, don't, don't approach God all dirty like that. Get yourself cleaned up, make some changes in your life. 
become a better person, become a more moral person, that Jesus would invite you to come as you are. Dirt and all. Dirt and all. And then he'll love you so that you don't stay as you are. He'll clean you up as sanctifier and cleanser. Let's say that a group of ladies get together. They all have young children, and they're having a, a Bible study together one day at one of these ladies' homes. And, and, and the kids are all down on the floor, and they're, they're playing as kids do and everything. And, you know, the ladies are chatting and everything. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, what, what's that s- smell? What, what's, that, what's that smell? I, I, I've been reminded of this again over the last two or three years that the, the kids, they have, they have bodily fluids that um, are bad, like really bad. And thankfully, Addie's been, been, been pretty good with this kind of stuff. But I, I remember one time vividly, Matt, you don't have to tell him I told this. Um, I may have to make sure he's not in the 11 o'clock service. We were eating at a restaurant one time, and I, I don't, I, the, the physics on this doesn't work. But, but he messed his diaper to the point that it was up his neck, literally. <laughs> I'm like, how does that happen? There must be so much force. There must be, I mean, that it just, how does that happen? And it's in that moment that there's a part of you that wants to go, ain't our kid. (laughs) But I also know, I I didn't notice anybody in that restaurant that day running over and going, let me get it, let me get it, let, 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 let me take care of that. I was on a plane one time on the way to speak at a convention, and, and, you know, little lady there, bless her heart, she had a little one, and, and he did kind of the same thing. Hey, there weren't people jumping up out of their seats going, let me take care of that. I'll take it. No, they're more like, put that kid in the overhead bin or something. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, wow. But these ladies, let's say they're all, and, and all of a sudden there's this smell. You can tell which kid belongs to which mama. By, by, I mean, they're just naturally going to go to their kid. And they're going to go, well, I got to go clean this up. I, I mean, it wouldn't be natural for a mother to say, here, would you go clean my kid up? Now, now, a good friend maybe would be willing to do that, but, but, but it, it, that's just the, the natural course of life many times is, is the mother, the, the, the primary caregiver in that particular case is going to say, yep, that's my kid. <laughs> yep, they're dirty. Yep, they need changed. J- Jesus comes and he says, you know what? I love you so much. I- I'm willing to demonstrate my love to you as sanctifier and cleanser. And day by day by day, we're like... I am sitting in my own failure again. I, I, I'm sitting in my own mess again. My own shortcomings, my own sinfulness, my, my dirtiness, and all that goes along with it. But Jesus loves us so much that he's willing to say, I'll I clean you up. I, I'll clean you up. You, you don't have to do it yourself. I'll clean you up because I love you as sanctifier, as cleanser. That's loving. That's loving. And then finally, I want you to notice number five. He loves us as nourisher and cherisher. As nourisher and cherisher. You know, a lot of this language that Paul is using here of loving a woman like Jesus loves the church is about cherishing, about nourishing. Over the course of my ministry, I've I've sat down and I've talked to a woman that became rather obvious was not cherished by her spouse. 
very obvious. On the other hand, I've, I've talked to those who definitely are. And, and there's such a profound difference. And in those sessions, th- th- there's never been this idea, I, I, I need to be worshipped, I desire to be worshipped. I, I just want to be cherished. That's a powerful word. While we can focus on the submission thing and all that, kind of, do you see the power of the teaching here to us husbands? We, he says in verse 28, we ought to love our own wives as our own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Nourisher and cherisher. Proverbs says that there are seven things that are so magnificent that the, uh, the world can't endure under them. One of, one of them is an unloved, uncherished wife. And just as the earth collapses under the pressure of that weight, that, that tragic failure, uh, when a woman is cherished over time and decades, she flourishes and she blossoms. So it is with the church, with God's people individually. Jesus cherishes his people like a good husband adores his wife. And he nourishes his people like Jesus nourishes and encourages and builds up the church. And this is super helpful once we realize how Jesus loves us. This is the foundation of what we believe as Christians. And it goes hand in hand with what we taught last week, that his love for us is not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love. So if you've got this idea, this notion that that God is like just this this benevolent, just, you know, oh, overlooking everything. Oh, I know it's okay, it's no biggie. Mm -mm. He says, I love you so much that I can't let you get by with that. I love you so much that I'm willing to give myself for you. I love you so much that I will sanctify and cleanse you. I love you so much that I'm willing for all of eternity to nourish and to cherish you. I am loved. A number of years ago when uh, desktop publishing first it became a thing that, that, that the average person could afford and people started you know, being able to make their own business cards, for example, their own stationery and all these sorts of things. At the time, I was traveling full-time in evangelism and I was, I was making up some little cards to use to, to give to pastors and, and church leaders and different things. And uh, Matt was just a little bitty guy and he came and he said, Daddy, can, can you make me a business card? I thought, sure, man, especially if you're going to start a business and make some money for the family. That would be an amazing thing and so I, I want to help you any way I can. I thought, well, that's be kind of neat. And so, you know, I got to working on it. And, you know, and I obviously knew we were going to put his name on there. And I knew his address and everything. I said, now, but, but what, 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 what do you really want me to put on your card? You know, at the time, we, we had a ministry called um, uh, Point of Truth Ministries. And, uh, you know, we talked about t- taking God's word, the point of truth, to the point of need. And so we had a little slogan on there and everything. And so I said, what, what, what do you want me to put on there about you? What, what, what should I put, you know? And I was thinking he was going to say, you know, future NFL star or, you know, da, da, you know, something like that. He said, Daddy, just put, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I stopped and thought, there's not anything better that I could put there. There's nothing better. 
And I thought to myself, so, you know, Chris, do you have dreams and aspirations for your kids? I'm like, no, no matter how responsible or irresponsible as an adult you become, or no matter how successful or, quote, unsuccessful you are, no, as long as you remember that truth, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I am loved. I'm loved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Do you know that you're loved today? The, the Bible says that, that God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He demonstrated his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's not as if you can get to a point or reach a level spiritually where you are lovable. No, he says, I love you just the way you are. Dirt and all. He loves us as head. He loves us as giver. Nourisher, cherisher, sanctifier, cleanser. He loves us as Savior. Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? If He's not your Savior today, then I would invite you to come to Christ. Take that step of faith. Trust Christ. No one understands. You can't save yourself. So forsake your self-righteousness. Forsake your best efforts. All those things. And come to Christ. It's then and only then that you'll begin to understand the kind of love that he has for you and the relationship that he desires to have with you as he daily expresses that love. We're loved. I hope and pray that you'll leave this place of worship, this time of worship today, your heart filled with gratitude for the fact that you are loved. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you love us. You love us unconditionally. You love us eternally. Your word tells us the ways in which you love us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church. We invite you to come worship with us anytime you're near. We're located at 206 Marietta Street, Queen City, Texas. Visit us online at fbcqc.org.